through psychical acrobatics while unconscious at night? Why do we see pictures and fly and imagine we're naked in a crowd? A guy you might have heard of tried to figure this out about a hundred years ago. This is The Last Coffee House, and published in 1899, but going through many new editions subsequent to that, the interpretation of dreams by Sigmund Freud tries to answer the question of why we dream. So what are the contents of this book? What does he talk about? He talks about, first, some theories through history. We have Aristotle. Aristotle, early on, had psychological theories about the origins of dreams and did not accept supernatural ones. Some theorists early on said it was what was occupying thoughts during the day, that it was somehow derived from your experiences. It's pretty uh, intuitive to think of it in that way. There's this thing called hypomnesic dreams, and Freud goes through a number of these related to some of his friends or colleagues, and he himself, where they would not be able to remember, they would encounter something in their dream. They would go to a place or something like that, and then later, after they had dreamed this thing, they would stumble upon it in the real world. So it seems like it was prognostication. Your dreams are telling the future. But hypomnesic dreams are a phenomenon where you dream of things that you didn't realize that you ran into. So there'd be words or terms. There was one guy who, I think he was a botanist, but there was a particular kind of plant that he dreamed about, and he dreamed about the name. And he thought that there was no way that he could have known of it otherwise. He thought it was just something that he stumbled upon in his dream and then found out was a real thing in the real world. But then, come to find out, it, it would show up in some notes that he had taken or a book that he was reading. So this is a kind of phenomenon uh, where you get your content of your dreams. There's a discussion of the real world intruding spookily in your <laughs> dreams. And this is appropriate for Friday the 13th of 2020, which I'm still terrified something crazy is going to happen. But this is like a, a pillow on top of your head. If you thrash about in, in the night and a pillow ends up on top of your head, then you might imagine a bear or something sitting on your head and you're not <laughs> understanding plot-wise what is going on in your dream. But your brain will do some kind of interpreting while you're asleep or something like an alarm clock going off and you see a fire engine going by and making that noise. One thing that happened to me a lot is I used to listen to, I'd turn on a TV show, Family Guy or something like that. I'd turn one of those on to go to sleep. And Arrested Development happened a lot too. And then throughout a dream, the characters in my dream would speak the dialogue of each one of the shows. So it's, it's like I would get to watch those shows while I'm asleep. But other theories, there were other theories. Historically, the incoherence of dreams would suggest some kind of a gateway to metaphysics. So that's what some people thought. And then there were ideas about whether we had a conscience in our dreams. Some theorists thought that we were silent. The conscience was silent in our dreams. We were uninhibited. Other authors disagreed. But the former would say that this was our true nature. Whatever you were like in your dreams was your true nature without the inhibitions of society pushing you in another direction. But the big question is, and this is the purpose for this book, is to figure out the purpose of dreams. So one kind of preliminary idea that Freud talks about is that it seemed to be the case that settled matters don't show up in dreams. Things that weren't contentious aren't things that would end up being the subject matter of your dreams. And then he wants to build on a lot of these ideas to try to figure out what exactly is happening when you're dreaming. There was this other idea, another way to try to build it out was about this oriental dream interpretation. Apparently this was some way in the Far East that they decided to interpret dreams, but it had to do with puns, so just general word association. So things that sound like other things would show up as literal representations in dreams. So if you, <laughs> if you have a, a friend named Shovel, <laughs> and then in your dream you might be digging your, your own grave with a shovel, 
and it turns out that you you told Shovel about a heist that you were doing, so now it's symbolically <laughs> showing you he's the one who's going to get you into that trouble. Now, the, the Freud believes that the symbolic method had limited application, but decries the prevailing science at the time that suggested that dreams had no meaning. Now, we've talked about a couple of theorists, of course, who had ideas about it, but he suggests that the prevailing science said that dreams do not have a meaning. Freud believed that they did have a meaning, and then goes into one of his dreams, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I think as it went along, you know, dream after dream, I think it reminded me of Dennis Reynolds when he said that if I'm not in the dream and nobody's having sex, I don't really care. <laughs> Which is a fair enough evaluation of listening to people's dreams. But this was Freud's dream. It was about a woman named Irma. It was a patient of his. And she was a relative of a friend. And he was treating her as kind of a favor. And over the course of the treatment, she, he was able to partially cure her. But it wasn't 100%. He talks about how when you treat a known person, you know, somebody who's a relative or a friend or something like that, then you have less authority and there's more expectation on behalf of the, the other people and your patient. He one day runs into the friend, you know, who was the relative of the patient, and they have a discussion about the patient, and the friend says something to the effect of, well, at least you partially cured her, or you, you did some of it. You know, you didn't go the whole way, but you got some of it done. So Freud records that he was annoyed by this response, because as he tells it, the patient actually refused some of his treatment suggestions. Now, obviously, <laughs> we're getting one side of the story from a person with a vested interest in the outcome of this thing, so who actually knows but he recounts that Irma had refused treatment and then in the dream he runs into her and she suggests that she has all these ailments and he says that if you're in pain it's your fault he sees a colleague you know it's not not the friend but it's a separate colleague who comes up and talks to him about this case and gives him these nonsensical consolations re related to it but she complained of morbid symptoms so there were she had spots in her mouth, she had pain in her abdomen, she had pain in her neck and stomach. The real patient had only had stomach issues. But in the dream, she looked pale and puffy when she was actually rosy in real life. And in the dream, he inspected her oral cavity to see these spots. Again, the real person, the real Irma, didn't have any of these kinds of issues. But he remembered the story of a governess woman who looked great until she opened her mouth. And then in addition, Irma had this friend that Freud once saw standing at a window. And this was an image that came from the dream, but it was Irma in the dream standing at a window. And this, the friend suffered from hysterical choking. And then he recalled that his wife actually has abdominal pains. So it seemed when he started putting this all together as part of his dream, when he sees this woman who was a former patient who had all these extra ailments and standing at the window, he talks to a colleague that is no longer his friend who gives him this nonsensical consolation about the case, that when you put all these things together, he's actually trying to replace the people that were involved with people who are more sympathetic to him. So he wanted to replace Irma with her friend and his wife. Her friend was not somebody who was a disobedient patient, you know, as Irma was. And then the colleague was not the friend who decried his work, however subtly he might have done so, you know, in their actual conversation. It was somebody who was giving them, him these over-the-top consolations about how he did. For Freud, this was a kind of revenge on Irma and the friend in dream form. And this is how he segues into the idea of dreams as wish fulfillment. So in that case, you could see this is a kind of wish fulfillment that's replacing the people that he had a problem with 
with people who were more sympathetic to him and that reassured him that he did a good job. He asked, though, okay, when you have this idea of dreams as wish fulfillment, is it generally applicable or just when it comes to particular dreams? Obviously, that can be the modus operandi of dreaming altogether, is just fulfilling wishes. Or it could be just particular dreams do particular things. So many dreams are just plain wish fulfillment. They're really simple, and it's easy to test this in a lot of different ways. He brings up dreams of children, so they're not interesting. Dreams of children are not interesting. They're not all Machiavellian or have these, these crazy thematics or anything like that. But they have some kind of valuable proof of dreams as wish fulfillment. So he talks about his child's dreams that would usually be something really straightforward. They wanted a thing and they got the thing. You know, they wanted a, a horsey, a <laughs> wooden horsey to ride on and they got the horsey. There was a, he broadens that into talking about his own dreams where in one case he had this dream about this entitlement to a special professorship that he was up for in real life. And in the dream, the two colleagues that were kind of competitive with him to get this special professorship, he dreamed that one was a simpleton and one was a criminal. <laughs> so it's this clear wish fulfillment of being able to trounce the people who are competitive against you. Then he asks the question, okay, with we have a theory about wish fulfillment and dreams, dream being a method of wish fulfillment for people. So what about disagreeable dreams? What about bad dreams? Dreams that make you <laughs> feel bad or things bad happen to you in the dreams. And he narrows it down to say that you have to look at the dreams individually. Like he had this patient and this particular patient, her dream subject, the subject of her dream was that she couldn't get stuff for supper. She was supposed to make this supper to have people over, but she couldn't get the stuff for it. That was the dream. So the question is, okay, what does this mean? It it was just a bad, it was a bad thing that was happening. She wasn't able to get the supper, the stuff for supper. And she had her own rationale for it that her husband uh, had said that he was getting fat and would not come to supper because he didn't want to get any fatter. But then through analysis, they discover that there was this neighbor woman or this friend female who was too thin. And the dreamer's husband really liked thick women, you know, two C's, thick women he liked. And the other woman had talked about how she wanted to get thicker. <laughs> And the woman had also talked about wanting to come to supper. So the dream that's about not being able to <laughs> get the stuff for supper is really about preventing this other woman from adding some pounds so that she would be, <laughs> be more attractive to the dreamer's husband. So it's a kind of fulfillment of a suppressed or repressed wish. It's still wish fulfillment, just in a more circuitous way. So after, after that, we have a theory about what, what dreams do, what their function is, and how to interpret them. So where do you get the material for your dreams? One of the things that I always was uh, really creeped out about when it came to dreams is when I'd have a hundred people in my dreams that are characters, I don't know where the hell I got all these faces. But he actually goes through on some specific dream setups. So something like uh, naked dreams. <laughs> and the, they have these weird idiosyncrasies. I mean, I've had these dreams before. And reporting was that people are often not ashamed. I never felt ashamed whenever I was naked in a dream. And the onlookers apparently, when it comes to reporting, that people are usually indifferent when it comes to the nakedness. Even though this is a common dream type that is talked about. So that one has some kind of weirder interpretations because you don't have the right emotions that should be going with that kind of a situation in real life. And that could be a kind of wish fulfillment, and this is me saying this, but that could be a kind of wish fulfillment on its own in that you don't feel the shame of it and people aren't really worried about you uh, being so naked in public. But there's this idea of what the dream's work actually is. So you have the latent dream content, which is the hidden psychological meaning behind the dream, and then you have the manifest dream content, which is the actual literal subject matter of the dream. And he says that only Freud's method, our method, identifies latent content. 
And then there are some lovely ideas about symbolism, of course, and we get the Oedipal talk, the complex, and there's a whole list that he just goes through a number of different things. And anything, it turns out, anything shaped like a penis is, is a penis. <laughs> is representative of a penis in dreams, you know, stick a pipe, whatever. Caves, openings, uh, those things represent women. That's a woman, if you see a cave or an opening in a dream. A room is apparently representative of a woman. So if you have a series of rooms, if you're walking down a hall with a series of rooms, then it's apparently a brothel or a harem. There's an idea that came up about the infantile cloaca theory, which suggests that little kids, before they become aware, believe that women have the same situation, <laughs> like, you know, birds, where, where they they have one thing to do everything, but they eventually learn that that's not the case. Uh, apparently smooth walls are men, tables are women. Beating a child means masturbation. So if you're beating up a kid in a dream, that's supposed to be representative of masturbation. And just everything is genitals. So that's something to keep in mind when interpreting. And he does. We read a book previously, The Denial of Death, which I loved, that talked about Freud not emphasizing the fear of death enough. He mentions it here, but he doesn't talk about it a lot. And then Falling Dreams specifically, I think this is my favorite um, assertion in the whole book, was that Falling Dreams uh, may mean different things in different circumstances, but that they are often actually about erections because <laughs> your erection is defying gravity. So it's representative of that because in a dream you're flying, you're defying gravity, just like your erection does. It seems to be a tad phallocentric when it comes to uh, its interpretations, but still. I think I said before, I'm going to try to do kind of a book discussion so we can have a little more free time to actually talk about these things, because I feel like we're with these books and then they're gone. It's just dropping a child off and not picking them back up again, and I feel like we should spend a little more time ruminating on these things uh, and raising them like a little adorable children who are going to leave at 18 and never talk to you again. But, the, okay, my analysis there's a fundamental issue with dream interpretation because they have to be self-reported. We, we're we actually working on it. We, I say we, I'm not a scientist. Scientists are actually working on it where they are trying to get direct access to dreams and what somebody actually sees when they're dreaming or at least some kind of a biological analog to what's being seen in a dream so we can figure this stuff out better. But that's a major limitation, self-reporting. People love to conform facts to narratives. So your waking self is going to try to make all sorts of things out of whatever your dream was. And Freud can be bold as hell in asserting how right he is on all this stuff. He has some early humility, but that quickly gives way. And he seems pretty damn certain of everything based on very limited anecdotal evidence. That said, he seems to be very substantially right to me. I tried to look up some more uh, contemporary studies on this stuff, and they seem to bear out a lot of what he says. Although the most recent things that I read talked about uh, just working out issues, like a kind of uh, clearing of the RAM situation, working out issues when you're asleep. But wish fulfillment as a method of dreaming, it would be very difficult to argue against that. It seems like it has a huge part of whatever is the inspiration for dreaming. But there really has to be a systematic evaluation of the theory of wish fulfillment, dreams as wish fulfillment, and there needs to be a lot of controls to be able to implement this in the right way. Because this is something that could be really effectively studied, at least in, in some contexts. But it has to be as systematic as humanly possible to try to get some real answers out of this. Big picture-wise, I mean, obviously animals dream, <laughs> other animals, not just the, the great apes, the higher primates. 
at some point we're going to devise some method to have better access to dreams but psychology just in general as a discipline it seems so sloppy relative to others but it's also much more complex than a lot of the other things that we can deal with uh, i think like we talked about before or wasn't there a quote that we brought up or something like a physicist can look at atoms and try to figure out what's going on with atoms now uh think of a psychologist looking at atoms but each atom thinks <laughs> So at some point, we're going to have some robust knowledge. It's probably going to be all manned by AI. Neural networks are going to figure all the stuff out. And we won't have access to it intellectually anyway. But it's it's worth trying, right? That's why we're here. So anyway, I hope that was, that was nice to listen to. I hope there was some good stuff that you got out of that. And we'll be talking more books as we go along. Everybody have a good Friday the 13th. I'll see you on the next one. All right, bye. <laughs>